Hello everyone, I'm Stuart Spinks and this is Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. So welcome back everybody to my weekly podcast and my thanks to those of you listening via the Patreon page. I really do appreciate your support. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a support page where you can help me create more content by signing up to one of my reward tiers and in return you gain access to additional content and support from me. These start from as little as $1 per month. I don't charge per video or per podcast, so I believe with the regular quality content that I'm producing, $1 represents excellent value for money. If you've not yet started beekeeping and you're looking for help and assistance, then pop over to my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk forward slash get started, and I'll do all I can to help out with suggestions and recommendations for you in your beekeeping journey. Again, I'll leave links to the various websites in this week's show notes as usual. Today's topic is our monthly preview for the month, and in May it starts to get really busy. It's a time to be very watchful, however, and we need to keep a close eye both on our bees and also on the weather conditions. Here in the UK, we've had our hottest April day for 70 years, and just a few days ago had a month's worth of rainfall in one day with temperatures down to single figures again that's centigrade of course and the weather just keeps flip-flopping from hot to cold and that can have quite a marked effect on your honeybees the local conditions you face are the single most important factor that you face in your beekeeping decision making. So don't be fooled into following any timings exactly as written down in any of the books that you might be reading or websites that you're seeing or in fact what I'm telling you here. It's your local conditions that dictate what you should be doing and if your local conditions aren't right then wait for a few days and then make another judgment on what you should do. About now, we should be seeing a fairly strong increase in activity in our beehives. The weather will eventually warm up, I'm sure, and I think this weekend it's due to start warming up into the high teens and low 20s. And the bees will eventually get out and start foraging. The local plants around us here are going through their normal growth patterns. The colder weather has certainly knocked some of them back a few weeks, But somehow the bees and the plants always seem to manage to get their timings to coincide and the bees are able to get out and forage while the plants then get pollinated. That's not always exactly the way it happens and with a surge in colony growth in early April some bees may be struggling to get enough food for their growing brood nests right now. So if in doubt about the early part of May and it's going to remain cold where you are, then a little extra feed isn't going to hurt them. But for most of us, we should now begin to see the bees getting out and returning with lots of colourful pollen. Once the weather improves, the bees will expand throughout the hive, and the space will be at a premium. And now it's time to judge when to get that all-important first super and queen excluder on. Again, it's a judgment call, but I like to make sure the bees are not filling in the cells that the queen might otherwise be laying in. 
So having a super on a few days early is preferable to being a few days late. We're now expecting to see the first signs of swarming and having lots of bees cooped up in a small brood box with nowhere to go is a sure way to see queen cells popping up along the bottom of the frames in a drive to a swarm. If you're only just starting out in beekeeping and you're about to take ownership of a nucleus colony of honeybees, well, firstly, congratulations, you're a beekeeper. If you're not a beekeeper and wondering what on earth a nucleus colony is, typically it's a small colony of honeybees, which is maybe five or six frames in a box, which is about half the size of a full-size beehive. It has all the individual parts of a full-size colony, a queen, worker bees, at this time of the year probably a few drones, those are the boys, and some food stores to keep them going while they get moved into their permanent home. Transferring a nucleus colony into a full-size hive is straightforward and should pose no major problems, although there are a couple of things to do to make sure that you get off to a really fast start. First of all, make sure the frames from the nucleus colony go into your full-size hive in the same order as they were in the nuke box. This prevents any high spots on the wax comb from crushing bees when you push the frames back together again. Secondly, always add a feeder to the hive and give them a feed of light sugar syrup. That's a one-to-one -one ratio of sugar to water. And keep feeding this until the bees have drawn all of the foundation. That way, you'll give them the very best opportunity of growing into a strong, healthy colony in your first year. We did this last year with a nucleus colony to demonstrate moving a nucleus colony into a full-size hive, and we actually managed to achieve a really strong colony and take off a full super of honey at the end of the season, so it was a real success for us. One of the most common pests I see at this time of the year is the wax moth, they leave a telltale trail under the cappings. In badly affected colonies, you'll see this as bald brood. Not a disease, but the after effects of the wax moth tunnelling their way through the cells and removing the tops of the cell capping, revealing the brood beneath. If you trace along the tunnel with your hive tool, you'll eventually uncover the wax moth larvae, and then it's simply a case of picking it out and feeding it to the bees. One funny little trick I was shown many years ago, which is quite neat to demonstrate, is if you spot a wax moth tunnel, shake the bees gently off the frame and then gradually scrape away the tunnel to reveal the wax moth. What normally happens is the wax moth will dive down to bury itself in one of the cells. But then if you hold the frame flat with the cells pointing up to the sky and tap the side of the frame with your hive tool, the wax moth larvae will wriggle up and out of the cell, much like the old image of a snake charmer playing pipes to a snake hidden in a wicker basket, which then dances its way up and out of the basket. Once the wax moth is exposed, grab it and again feed it to the birds. Now is a great time to get some frames exchanged in the brood box. Old combs that have become blackened with age or chewed and torn around the edges should be removed as a matter of routine and the spring growth period is a great time to start this process. I have a couple of methods that I use for this task. If it's just a couple of frames, I'll just remove the old combs and slot in a couple of new frames with fresh foundation in them. The bees take to them very quickly and provided there's a nectar flow on, they'll usually draw them out very fast. 
It does need warm conditions for this, though. I always think of warm and nighttime conditions as being more important. The bees seem to be able to produce a lot more wax and work it faster when the overnight temperatures are on the up. If there isn't a nectar flow, you can always feed a little light sugar syrup to help them along their way. My main method of changing out a large number of brood frames in one go is called the Bailey comb change. It does require a little more equipment, but it's well worthwhile to give your bees a full box of freshly drawn comb for the new season. The method involves finding the queen and placing her in a new brood box full of frames of foundation. This brood box sits on a bailey board, which is simply a queen excluder with a wooden frame around it that has an entrance cut into it to allow the bees to gain access to the top brood box without walking over the dirty combs in the bottom brood box. The main lower entrance is closed off, forcing the bees to use that new upper entrance. Nurse bees will continue to care for the brood in the bottom box, but other bees will immediately migrate upwards to tend to the queen and to draw out the foundation so that the queen has somewhere to lay her eggs. Once all of the brood has emerged in the bottom box, it can simply be removed and the frames recycled. The upper brood box is then lowered down onto a clean replacement floor and that's it, job done. The bailey board is then taken away, given a light clean and ready to use on another colony. I always add a feeder to the Bailey comb change method, regardless of whether there's a nectar flow on or not. If the weather conditions change a few days into that Bailey comb change process, the bees at least still have a food source that they can go to. I think this is a super method of changing out comb, and I recommend it to you to try. Another more drastic method of comb change is called a shook swarm. I'm going to demonstrate this method in a YouTube video, so look out for that one on my YouTube channel, The Norfolk Honey Company. Let me explain how it works, and hopefully you'll see it in action, and then you can relate to what I'm describing. Again, you need additional equipment. In this case, you'll need to start with a clean floor, queen excluder, brood box, a full set of frames with foundation, a clean crime board, a feeder, and finally the roof. Firstly, move your existing hive to one side and replace it with a new stand, floor, queen excluder and brood box. Notice that the queen excluder goes between the floor and the brood box. This is a preventative measure to stop the queen from absconding, which has been known to happen. It's a little insurance policy, if you will. Next, place four frames on either side of the brood box, leaving a gap in the middle. This is where you're going to shake the bees into. Having moved the old hive, the flying bees will be returning back to the old site where you have the new hive. They will be a little confused, but the good news is that it will mean less bees in the old brood box, so making finding the queen even easier. Work through the old brood box until you find the queen. Don't assume that she's not on a frame and shake the bees off into the new brood box. She might be hiding somewhere. Once you find her, pop her into a cage to keep her safe. Once you've found the queen, the next job is to shake all the bees off the old frames into that gap in the new brood box. One by one, there's no need to rush, just take your time and be methodical. I lean the old shaken frames against the back of the old stand as I work through the brood box. I then remove the brood box and brush the remaining bees clinging to the side walls into the new box with my fingers. 
I don't like using bee brushes. They just seem to get bees stuck in them. If you need a brush, just grab a handful of long grass or maybe a few leafy twigs from a hedge to brush them out. I much prefer using that method than using one of the shop-bought bee brushes. Then I tap the floor on the ground outside the new clean hive to knock out the rest of the bees. Don't tap them off over the new brood box or you'll simply knock all of the debris on the old floor into your nice new clean hive. Finally, run the queen into the new brood box by placing her on one of the frames and replace the remaining few frames to close the gap. Tighten everything down, pop on the crime board and then the feeder on top of that. Again, I use light sugar syrup in a one-to-one -one ratio and make sure that you feed the bees continually until they've drawn all of the combs in a similar fashion to the Bailey comb change. This is a superb way of not only renewing all of the comb, but also of removing excess varroa from the colony, as most of the varroa will be buried in capped cells. The bees seem to react really well to this treatment, and again, providing they have the food and the weather is warm enough, they'll draw that comb out really quickly. You get a brood break, the swarming instinct is suppressed and the colony will build up strongly and be in good health for the rest of the season. For all your colonies that are set for honey production, all you have to worry about is adding a queen excluder and some supers. If you're on oilseed rape, I would suggest adding a couple straight away. The flow from oilseed rape can be very good and the bees need as much room as they can to store it. Towards the end of this month, you'll have the tricky task of gauging when to extract. Too soon and the water content will be too high, too late and the honey will granulate in the comb and you'll be cutting it out. Those are the joys of oilseed rape though. Love it or hate it, I find it a very useful crop that produces a really nice honey but it also sets the bees up really nicely for the summer to come. I'm so excited for the new season and I just can't wait until we're really into some warmer weather. Well that's it for this week, thanks for hanging on to the end and good luck with your beekeeping journey. I'll catch up with you all again next week, but for now, I'm Stuart Spinks and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Sweet.